Uh, we're going to start by looking at uh, images from uh, Jesus' world. A lot of these will have to do with Mark. And uh, so Pamela, we're good, right, Pamela? There she is. Yeah, I just saw a hand go up. I see that hand. So uh, direct your attention to the screen. Um, we're always wondering, is that, yeah, always wondering what, it, what does he look like? Um, and no one ever takes the time to describe him. And I think partly that's because there's nothing, ex there's nothing extraordinary about him. You know, if he had some sort of weird feature, big ears or something, they would have teased him about that, right? But my, my conclusion is you would have passed Jesus by on the street and you wouldn't have looked twice. Not, tall, not especially tall, not especially anything. And uh, this image is one of my favorite images. This is from a, um, Fayum in Egypt. It's, um, it's in Egypt um, in the first century, you, you would have your portrait painted at some point and hang it on the wall. And then when you died, they'd put it on your, on your sarcophagus or your coffin. So they're, they're portraits, but they're, they put them on sarcophagi. sarcophagi. Anyway, this is the image. This is a Semitic, uh, this is a Jewish, maybe not Jewish, but a Semitic uh, soldier. Um, we know he's a soldier. If you pull back, you can see he has a belt that makes him look like a soldier. But for me, I really want Jesus to look like that. Let's just uh, say it that way. That, look, that appears to me uh, what, what he perhaps might have looked like. Okay, next. I just love that face. Uh, this is another, I'm just looking for his face. I'm just trying to find his face. And this is uh, kind of a, 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 a regular Jewish face. He had glasses on and I digitally took them, took them off. <laughs> took me days, you're welcome, a pixel at a time. But again, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm just always imagining that face. And I just think it must have been, I mean, I hope this doesn't hurt your feelings. I think it must have been pretty ordinary or pretty regular. Uh, it's when he starts talking that people go, whoa. Okay, next. Uh, this is a storm on the Sea of Galilee. I just took this out the window of a bus as we're driving along. Uh, just, they just came in from the north and uh, like gangbusters. And uh, you'll read in the commentaries when, we, when, when you get to the stories of the storm on the Sea of Galilee, how because of where it is there, it's the common thing that storms blow in as if the demonic storm is like one of these storms, which it's not. The disciples are used to these kinds of storms. They had never seen the storm uh, that almost sunk the boat. But there it is, Sea of Galilee. Another picture, that's, we're on the Jewish side looking at the Gentile side. And if you look at the hills, uh, the, the, the Gentile side is very mountainous. You know, the idea of the pigs running down the cliff, uh, it all matches up. Uh, and that's an unusually windy day. You don't usually see waves that big. Okay, but beautiful. There's a good, there's a wonderful picture. This is from the north. Capernaum is just to the left. And the, the, the image when, or the, the passage when Jesus is up praying and he's looking down at the disciples who are rowing against the wind, he would have been someplace around, around in this area. And you can see this is the scope of the whole lake. I told you that the lake is so small, this is from the very north looking to the very south. That's the, the longest you know, distance of the lake. It's, it's longer than it is wide. But if there's a boat on the lake, you can see it, right? And, um, and again, 
about halfway, a line halfway through the picture, that's the north tip of the lake. The, the south part that you can see, there's no word of him ever even going down there. Certainly he probably did, but um, there's no word of it. But there's, that's a nice, nice view of the Sea of Galilee. Beautiful sunsets, beautiful sunrises. That's Jesus' world. It's a world of beautiful sunsets and sunrises. Not so much that way in Jerusalem, but uh, almost every night. Okay, this is to let you see what the shore is like. Um, this is pretty close to where the two pictures goes was. Um, that's Mount Arbel. Um, you see a lot of pictures taken from the top of that mountain. Um, but I, this is not a travel, travel guide pictures. These are s images that help you to engage with the gospel. And what I want you to look at is the shore. It's not a sandy shore. It's, um, it's basalt. Uh, no one is falling down on their knees on this shore. That's my point. The, the shore of the Sea of Galilee is very, very, uh, very rough. Okay. But what a gorgeous place. Okay, this is uh, close to Caesarea Philippi. Uh, this is where the Jordan River comes out from underneath the, uh, the mountain. Just a really pretty place. When, when Jesus takes them north to Caesarea Philippi, we're going we're gonna to look at that today. It's, it's here. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful place, gorgeous place. Yeah, and of course he used them in his in his language. He refers to foxes, but we're we were walking along and I looked over and he was he was looking at us. So foxes are a part of Jesus' world. Parakeets are a part of Jesus' world. Flocks, they're long. You know that that costs like eight hundred bucks in a pet store. They have flocks of them there. You know. Long tails, beautiful green parakeets, um, flocks of pelicans, uh, absolutely, where they go, a flock of pelicans, they look like B-52 bombers, a whole flock of them. That's part of his world. The major flyway between Africa and Asia brings them right over the Sea of Galilee. So there's every sort of bird you can imagine. That's part of his world. That is a coney. A rock badger, right? And it looks sort of like a Muppet. You look like you stick your hand up its back and, you know, <coughs> do this. But that's part of his world. So, you know, when they talk about the beautiful Galilee in the north and how in the south, uh, Jerusalem is, uh, Jerusalem's in the middle of a desert that's like the moon. Well, I'll show you that in a minute. Vulture, Egyptian vulture. And again, that thing is a B-52. And, and I zoomed in on the picture. He's tagged. There's a number on his wing, but enormous bird. Yeah, beautiful birds. Herons, cormorants, you know, everywhere. Yeah. Okay, now, now we're getting to the birth, uh, and we'll do this quickly. Um, The way it works is there, there's a cave and you build a house over the top of the cave. Uh, up in the house, there's a room called the Cataluma, the guest room. And what happens in Jesus' case is Joseph and Mary are traveling and they go to a Jewish home. Again, Jews don't do inns. They're, you know, the whole thing of the innkeeper and his wife that we do Christmas, total fabrication. That's not, that's not how it works. Um, but they go to a home and the guest room is full, and so they have to go underneath the house where the animals are kept. That's where the stable is, and this is, uh, this is what that looks like. This is a, a, a first-century reconstruction of a first-century house. 
I think I've got another picture. There's another picture of it. And it, this is a cave that they built the house over the top of. And that's where the animals were. And it's warm and it's dry and it's quiet, you know. I would want to have a baby there, but that's just me. Um, this is Capernaum. Um, you see the, the lower half of the picture, those, that's basalt. And I like to say it this way. Jesus lives in a black basalt world. That's his world, black basalt buildings. Uh, the marble or whatever that is, limestone, that's a big synagogue that was built second, third century. Uh, and we'll, I think we'll, we'll show some other pictures of that. I got some other pictures of it. Here we go. This is looking towards Peter's house. Peter's house is underneath that big, ugly, ugly church that looks like a flying saucer. <laughs> what were they thinking? But those, those are, these are first century foundations of homes in Capernaum. And when I go there and I look at this, I think, I just imagine people coming into those rooms and saying, Jesus is back. Let's go out and see him. You know, that happened within those walls. Okay, next. There's more of those, more of those walls. Black basalt world. Okay, more of the, this is Chorazin. It's a city that, one of the cities that he cursed. So he must have been there, but we don't, there's no record of him being there. Um, but this is a synagogue, and again, it's black basalt. Um, black basalt. How they fashion that stuff, because it's like iron. Yeah, rainbow. It was a good day. That was the day, we call that day the rainbow day, because every day, I mean, all day, there was, a, some, there was a rainbow someplace. Did I talk to you guys yet about the point zero nine? Haven't talked about that yet. Let me, let me do a quick sidebar right here since we're, since we're here. I, the, the Chorazin picture made, made me think of this. I'm, I'm relating to the Chorazin picture. Uh, a few years ago, I was in uh, Rapid City, South uh, Dakota, teaching a class on the life of Jesus to you know, some college kids, and I assigned them a paper, and they start groaning. You would think that I was asking for a quart of blood. And um, after the class, this young, young lady comes to me and says, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to drop the class. She didn't want to write the paper. I'm just going to drop the class. Uh, I don't even know why I took it. I'm a math major. So I heard math major. I go, okay, you don't have to write a paper. She goes, I said, I want a number from you. You're a math major? I want a number. I want you to calculate the percentage of Jesus' life that we have in the Gospels. And she got so excited. Okay, so she, she harmonized the gospel. She went through each story, estimated in minutes how long each story would have taken. It was like 15 pages of calculus. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. See, I kind of, I captured her imagination, right? So she totals up the total time. I forgot what the total time was. Uh, in, it was days. It was a matter of days. She dis- divides that into the life of Jesus and she comes up with a number. And this is, of course, I realize it's a, not a hard and fast number. It's a fluid number. But this is an approximation of how much of Jesus' life we actually have. Here's the number, 0. 0.09. She said it this way. If Jesus' life is $100, we have nine cents of it. And so back to Chorazin. If I say, here's Chorazin. We know he pronounced a curse on it. So he said if the works that were done in Chorazin were done, you know, in what, Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented or something like that. So he was there, but we don't have a record of what he did there. Wouldn't you love to know what he did there? You know, John would say the whole world couldn't contain the books that could be written. I mean, he did so many things that we don't know about. We have this tiny little slice 
of this remarkable life. And that, to me, makes me want to listen to his life even better. But point zero nine, Isn't that something? Good number. Okay, sidebar over. That won't be on the test. Okay, this is Peter's house, what's left of it. And what you, the walls that you see are a church that was built over the top of it. If you look to the far right of the picture, you can barely see those, those boulders. Those are the actual foundations uh, of, the, of the house. And as much as we can be certain of anything, and uh, again, when you, when you start looking into this and comparing it with other, other uh, archaeology and things like this, this was an unimaginably long time ago. 2,000 years is an unbelievably old, uh, big period of time. But as, as much as we can be certain of anything, we can be certain that this is uh, Peter's house because late first century, they built a church on top of it. Uh, and when they excavated it, and the excavations weren't done that long ago, they found graffiti in the plaster prayers to Peter and prayers, you know, for Jesus. And it was obviously a church and it was looked upon very early, early second century at the the latest uh, as as Peter's house. And a matter of fact, here, this is a new idea. The new, new idea is that Capernaum was such a Christianized village that that new synagogue that we'll look at in a minute, the big white synagogue, uh, and because of some of the symbols in the synagogue, people are starting to wonder if that wasn't a Christian synagogue. A Christian synagogue. Yeah, wrap your mind around that. Okay, next. This is an ass-turned millstone. It's so big you have to have a donkey to turn it around. And if you look behind it, there are some other uh, examples of millstones. They found an inordinate number of these things in Capernaum. They are everywhere. And someone has begun to uh, reason that maybe another thing that happened in Capernaum is that they manufactured millstones there. But I have this here because Jesus will say, I think we're, we're going to look at this today, you know, it would be better for someone to have a, and he uses the technical term, an ass turned this big millstone, great millstone. It'd be better for them to have that tied around their neck and thrown into the sea than to offend one of these little ones. And uh, what you, you may not know this, he's appealing to a sense memory because the, the Romans had actually done that during the first Jewish revolt in Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee. They took some of the uh, Sikari and took them in the middle of the lake, tied those on their, around their necks and threw them in. Okay, Romans. This is a floor in Capernaum. And again, you, you may not care about this sort of stuff, but my, my, I see this and I go, that's the kind of floor he was used to. Right, He would walk on a floor like that. I want to know what the floors are like. I want to know what his bed was like. I want to know what he ate. And uh, so that's, that's the reason that's there. And I think it's a boat. Yeah. And a very, when you compare this to you know, the, the floors in the homes of the high priests and that sort of thing, this, you can see this is pretty rough. Okay, next. Okay, now now we're getting to it. This is the the foundation of that synagogue in Capernaum. Now, the black basalt synagogue, that is the synagogue that was donated by the Roman soldier. Yeah, Luke 7. Uh, There it is. And one of the things that's unusual, if you look at this, uh, I think the next picture may show it better. Yeah. Look at what they did. They shaped the, the rocks to fit the existing foundation. Okay, look at the next picture. Oh, no, go, go back, go back. Sorry, sorry. Oh, this, that one. You see what they've done? Look real close. 
the step has been cut away so that it doesn't touch the original step. Okay, and the, the archaeologists look at that and they go, this, there's no other synagogue that's done this way. What is going on? And again, I won't take a bullet for this, but here's the idea. The idea is the people who build this synagogue so reverenced the original synagogue that they did these sorts of things, which come from that comes the theory that perhaps the synagogue was a Christian synagogue. Capernaum was a very Christian village until, of course, they were driven out. So that's the idea. Okay, and here is uh, from that synagogue, that's their concept of what the Ark of the Covenant looked like. So that's it, at least that's what they thought it looked like and the, the cart that they, they carried it in. You've seen that picture? Okay, I, I got to spend the day uh, fishing on Sea Galley with this guy. The guy in the blue shirt is Menachem and he's a piece of work. You see, is there another picture? Yeah, that's a net that's not full of fish, not totally full of fish. There he is. I want you to see this picture. Okay, look at that guy. Cigarette. Um, he was, as we would say in Tennessee, he's rough as a cob, that guy. Uh, I, saw him, I saw him last year. He's gained about 50 pounds, and he has mellowed considerably. He's a wonderful. I saw him, and I said, how much longer are you going to be fishing? He said, as long as God wills it. But while we were out, um, see, kind of mad, I'll tell you why he's mad. They've brought the fish into the port and the rabbis are inspecting them in order to be kosher. A rabbi has to inspect it. And the rabbi was throwing about half of them back in. If there was a scale that wasn't right or something didn't look right, they'd throw them back in. And he was not happy. Uh, but I kept pointing at him. It really irritated him. I'd point at him and laugh and I'd say, you're Simon Peter. Really, because it was like being with Simon Peter. He's kind of mad and he's not having a good day and you know, the fishing's not going well and the rabbi's giving him a hard time. And <laughs> so that's, that's Peter, only his name is Menachem. Yeah, there you go. Those are St. Peter's fish, uh, tilapia. Yeah, the, 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 the fish that had the coin in its mouth. That's traditionally, that's it, but okay. Okay, this is to let you see what the boat looks like. This is a, a reconstruction of the boat. Um, it's got a mast so they can use a sail, but it also has uh, places to put oars, and we read, we'll read in the story, uh, the wind storm that they, they were actually rowing. I'm sitting in the place where Jesus fell asleep, and, but it's not that big a boat, right? You imagine 12 people in that thing. There's not, it's not that big of a boat. But I have, a new, I have a new realization. I realized that this morning. Uh, I was, got up early and was just sort of looking at the text and, and saying, you know, let me see something I've never seen before. And, uh, you know, I've made such a big deal because Mark's makes such a big deal of how they're always covered up with people and they keep crisscrossing the lake to get away from the people. And that never makes total sense. What I realized this morning was maybe when they're in the, in, in the, in, on the lake in the boat, that's really the only time they're alone. So maybe going across a lake isn't just, just to get away from people. Maybe it's, that's a chance to be alone because it takes a while to get across there. So new, new idea. There you go. How long does it take? Uh, well, I've only, I've only been in a boat that's got a motor on it that takes you across. And it takes maybe 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. And that's going, you know, not at speed. This is the Jordan River. So this is down south getting closer to Jerusalem. Uh, when, it, when it's low, you can jump right across it. The Jordan is not a very big, very big river, okay? 
That's the path that goes along the Jordan. And see that rope that's hanging from the tree? That's the actual rope that Jesus' disciples used to use when they would swing into the... (laughs) But I I have this picture because, especially in Luke, but we're also going to see it in Mark, um, a, a, a good part of the narrative, of course, the whole central section of Luke is just them walking down this path. Do you know that? The central section of the Gospel of Luke is them walking to Jerusalem for the final time. But Mark takes it up too. And uh, if indeed they went beside the river, uh, which was longer, it's 120 miles that way. It's 90 if you go up through Samaria, uh, which we know he also did occasionally. Uh, but that, that's, the, that's the, 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 what the walk would have looked like, except for the eucalyptus trees. See the white bark? Those weren't there when Jesus was there. They were introduced after the 40s to control erosion. So... Okay, we're, we're going to look at Caesarea Philippi today, and this is Caesarea Philippi. That big cave is called the Cave of Pan. There was a temple that jutted out from that cave, and that was thought of as the entrance to Hades. Okay? Next to that was a temple to Augustus. On the other side of that was a temple to the dancing goats. So you go to the, they got these goats, and you go to the priest, and you, you, know, you shell out whatever. <clears throat> they give the goats some kind of weed that, you know, weed, uh, and the goats dance, dance around, and the priests watch the way they dance, and they interpret what your future is. You don't buy that? So all, I say all that to say, Jesus takes his disciples to a city where they are worshiping Pan. Pan is like Mr. Tumnus. Just think Mr. Tumnus, right? They're worshiping Pan, they're worshiping dancing goats, they're worshiping the emperor. That's Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus, 25 miles they walk up there for Jesus to ask them the question, who do people say that I am? And, and Bill used to say, Jesus wants them to, to, to answer that question in the face of raw paganism. Because uh, Caesarea Philippi is as, as pagan as it gets. Okay, so there it is. And, and, and it's here that Jesus says the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. And a lot of people think he was pointing at that cave when he said that. So there it is. Okay. Uh, this is a sheepfold. This is kind of more gospel of John, but this is closer to Jerusalem. But you see the, in the bottom of the picture, that gap, that's where the sheep go through. And there's a place where Jesus says, I'm the shepherd. I'm the gate for the sheep. And, uh, He's saying the same thing because the shepherd is the door. Because when the sheep get in the sheepfold, he lays down and sleeps there. He becomes the door. So, um, and, and I bring this up because every now and then you'll hear people say, oh, Jesus is, is sometimes obscure. Jesus is not obscure. You don't say the same thing over three or four different ways when you're being obscure. Right? He's making a point, and uh, sometimes it's not always obvious to us, but it would have been very obvious to them. But that's a, and they still use this thing. I mean, the shepherds still use it. Okay, next. That's Mount Tabor. Don't worry about that. People think that's where the transfiguration happened, but it's not, so forget it. <clears throat> forget that picture. <laughs> Wipe that out of your mind. Okay, this is the road that goes down to Jericho from, uh, from Jerusalem. And this, is the, this was the setting for the Good Samaritan. But Jesus and the disciples take this road. And once again, it's like walking through the moon. I've never seen a desert like this. I'll show you a picture of it real soon. You'll see it. Next. There it is. Now, that's, that's a mile from Jerusalem. 
right? Jerusalem is next to the moon. And you look at that, there's a, there's a few green plants down there. There's a little uh, uh, spring. Um, and this is in the winter. This is as green. It's not this green in the summer. About 110, 120 degrees. There no, there's nothing green. But sometimes a big rainstorm in the winter, a rainstorm will come up. And the next day, there'll be flowers everywhere. And then the next day, they'll be gone. It's really cool. Yeah, I've never seen desert like that. Okay, look closely. No, look closely. This is in Bethlehem. Are you looking closely? It doesn't say Starbucks. This is a ripoff, Stars and Bucks Cafe. It's completely ripping off Starbucks. But this is in Bethlehem, so I just... Certainly, I mean, yeah. Let's don't let's don't just let's don't tear up Starbucks. But but this is uh, this is in Bethlehem. So when Joseph and Mary got coffee after Jesus was born. <laughs> Next. Okay, this is back in Jerusalem. I'm sorry that I did my best to get these in order, but these are just sense memories for you. Um, this is the main entrance to the uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and I the only reason I have this picture is look at that top window on the right. You see that ladder? That ladder's been there almost 100 years. Uh, this church is owned by, I think, three different, uh, Catholic, Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox. It's owned by multiple, or overseen by multiple denominations. They have fought so much. They have been so contentious that they don't even keep the keys anymore. The keys were given to the Muslim community. The Muslims come and open the church every morning. I kid you not. That ladder is there because 80, 100 years ago, someone from one of the denominations had climbed up there and he was washing the windows and it wasn't one of their windows. And they made him get down immediately and wouldn't even let him get, take the ladder. So that to me is a really sad picture of the divisiveness between, uh, I mean, what is the last thing Jesus asked for the fa from the Father? That we be one. That's the last thing he asked for. Can we not do that? I mean, are, are these sort of petty differences, are they that important? So anyway, they're, they're, that's what that is. So if, if you ever go there, look for, the, look for the ladder. Okay, this is also Jerusalem. This is uh, the, the golden, so-called golden gate. Now, these aren't the walls that were there when Jesus was there. The Romans completely flattened those. These are crusader or maybe a little bit earlier walls, but they're, they're new. They're only about 500 years old. Uh, but that double gate or the golden gate is the gate where supposedly he entered. The, the so-called triumphal entry happened through that gate. Oh, what you see are Muslim graves. The Muslims have turned it into a graveyard and they've sealed it off and the, the, the legend is I can't get a straight story from anybody in Jerusalem about this. Some people say it's true, some people say it don't. But they say they've sealed that off so that the Messiah will not be able to enter when he comes back. I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> but but that's, that's what that is. And it's a very uh, unkept place. Um, yeah, sad. This is a view up. This is from one of the churches at the bottom of the hill looking up at it. So it's not the actual gate, but it's where the actual gate was. You know, that didn't change. And this is the valley, and that, that gate would be to the right. 
uh, on the left on the hillside, those are Jewish graves. And this, uh, this road um, going through the middle of the valley, wow, look at that. I'm moving that with my mind, okay. <laughs> that road was put through uh, uh, when the Palestinians were controlled the area, and they put that road right through the Jewish um, graves. And they actually took some of the gravestones and made commode seats out of them. Yeah. Uh, the, the valley at the very center of the picture, closely, close to the top, that's one of the places where so- Solomon built one of uh, his pagan temples on that hill uh, for one of his wives. But this is the Kidron Valley when Jesus and his disciples, to the left is the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, for, for in the Passion Week, uh, they're basically camping out in Gethsemane. They cross this valley. They you know, go back and forth uh, by this valley uh, every morning and every evening. Yeah, the Kydron. Next. Okay, this is to show you how low the, the first century level is. Uh, the, where those columns are, that's the first century level. And where those people are standing and really above that is the current level. So when you go to Jerusalem and the, the guides say, Jesus actually walked down the street. He didn't walk down the street. The level where Jesus walked is 40 or 50 feet below your feet. It's hard to imagine a city that's been destroyed so many times, but again, we're talking about thousands of years. And when you destroy a city in in an age where you don't have bulldozers, you just pile the rubble up and build on top of that. And that's why why we have what are called tells. The, The way they find ancient cities is they find these big hills because they get destroyed and the cities get bigger and bigger and bigger because you keep building on top. So uh, there are only a couple of places, and I'll show you one, where uh, we can say these are steps that he probably walked on. But we're not here to collect chill bumps. Okay, next. Garden of Gethsemane. Um, Sean Connery was making a movie. That's him over there in the, in the corner. Uh, another thing you'll hear when you go to Israel, to go to Jerusalem, is uh, some people will say, these are the actual trees that were here when Jesus was in the garden. I guess. I mean, and we know that's false. Why do we know that's false? Because uh, uh, Tacitus, no, Josephus, Josephus tells us that when uh, Titus destroyed the city, uh, they cut down every tree for miles around to make crosses. They crucified thousands and thousands of people. And to me, it's a more poignant idea to think that when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's surrounded by trees that in 30 years will all be crosses. That's a pretty powerful idea. Yeah. Okay. Next. More, more, more pictures. It's a beautiful place. But when you think Garden of Gethsemane, don't, don't think garden. Think more industrial complex. It's a, it's, they're, it's a factory where they, they, you know, there are presses to press the... Um, the olive oil and that sort of thing. It's not just a beautiful garden. It's, it's a place where a lot of people are working. Okay, the, these are the steps on, down, down, that lead down to the city of David. And this is where Peter would have given his uh, Pentecost uh, sermon. In the middle, see, those are all Jewish graves on the other side of that valley. You saw the, that hill just a, a minute ago. But lots of very important things happen on those steps. Next. I don't want to, I don't want to, we can do this all day. This is the part of the retaining wall. Uh, Herod, when he expanded uh, the temple mount, uh, he put, built this big wall and what is traditionally called the Wailing Wall. We don't call it that anymore. We call it the Western Wall now. Um, 
But this is part of that retaining wall. And, and just get in your head, the Temple Mount is 35 acres. It's a big area, okay? So when Jesus is there, for example, in John 7 for uh, Tabernacles, it's a 35-acre plaza that's packed with people. Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. But this is part of the retaining wall. And those, uh, those walls that you see in the bottom jutting out, those are stores, shops that were built, built along there. Okay, next. This is a church to uh, the place to commemorate the place where Judas hung himself. What's, what is the service like there? I have no idea, but I don't get it. But there it is. I've never been there, not interested in going there. This is the end of the Pool of Siloam, and this is important just because, um, I mean, this Hezekiah's tunnel, just to the right is the Pool of Siloam, and this was taken several years ago. It's all been cleaned up now, but the man, uh, the man born blind, is, this is where he goes to, uh, to be healed, okay? That's it. <laughs> And I actually had tea, uh, there's a house. I'm, I'm sitting on the porch of this guy's house and I'm trying to tell him, there's just garbage, there's his old water jars or water uh, containers down there. And I'm, I'm why don't you clean this up? You, you know, this could be a great tourist attraction. He's not interested. The pool of Siloam is in backyard. So eventually somebody bought it and, and like I said, it's all cleaned up now and it's a pretty cool place to go. This is a mikvah. This is the steps going into the pool. You go on one side and you immerse yourself and you walk out the other side of the steps because you're clean. But there are several of these all around the temple because you have to immerse yourself before you go up into the temple. Mikvah. This is the uh, pool of Bethesda, uh, which is very deep. Pool of Siloam is very shallow. This, this was, you know, 15, 20 feet deep. It was part of the the water system uh, of the temple. They, they use water from this pool to wash the blood away from, from, uh, from all the sacrifices. And this is the man, man who's lame for 38 years. There's another, another, another picture of it. And of course, they built a church on top of it. They, they always do. Interesting, they built, the, the Romans built a, a temple to Asclepius over this. And Asclepius is the god of healing, right? You know, the staff with the snake around it that doctors use, that's Asclepius, the staff. And uh, so even the Romans saw that there was some association with water and healing, which I think is really interesting. You may not care about stuff like that, but I think it's cool. Next. Look real close and see what you see. That is a game board that's been scratched into the pavement. And this is first century. This is really old. This is way underneath the city. And every, any place where there was a Roman station, you find these things because they would play dice and they had pig knuckles that they would, you know, you know, maybe needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> and that's that's a game board. This is one. This is another one. This is actually in the Capernaum synagogue, uh, and this the children probably did this. This is in the the, the study hall that's next to the synagogue. There's another one. And the, the, in the center, that's the exact same game board as the very first one that I showed you that was, from, that was Roman. So it's the same game. They call it king. They would move, move the, you would roll the dice and you would move your man around those different squares. And at one point, you would, he would be robed. At one point, you'd give him a, a um, staff. 
And then when you got to the end, I mean, when you get to way, all the way across the checkerboard, what do you say? King me. King me. Same thing. And I say that to say when the Roman soldiers are mocking Jesus, some people think they're playing that game with him. They put the robe on him. They put the staff in his hand. And the, but they, they crown him with thorns. The sick, it's kind of a sick joke. Uh, I like to say it this way. The Romans mock Jesus in a uniquely Roman way, and the Jews mock Jesus in a uniquely Jewish way. Okay, next. Okay, this is, this is very important. That's that retaining wall that I talked about earlier. Just on the other side is the, is the wailing wall, the western wall. But what I want to draw your attention to is the broken pavement and farther up the big stones. Look at the next picture is a closer picture. There you go. See those stones? See the, see the person, the blue? That's how big those are. Those are stones from Herod's temple. When Jesus uh, uh, tears up the temple for the second time and he's leaving and he's just mad and his disciples make small talk, they're trying to distract him. Look at these beautiful stones, right? Jesus has gone to the temple his whole life. He's seen the stones. And his, you know his response not one stone is going to be left on top of the other. That's those stones. Not one stone was left on top of the other. When they burned the temple, when Titus burned the temple, the temple, the walls were lined with gold. The gold melted and went in between the stones. And the soldiers, when they destroyed, when they were tearing everything up, they pried the stones apart to get the gold out and they pushed them over that big retaining wall. And that's why the pavement is all busted. For me in Jerusalem, there's two things that I think are really significant to see because the rest of it is kind of, manu little, kind of feels a little manufactured to me. I'm not a big fan of Jerusalem for, personally. Uh, but to go there and see these stones and you can actually touch them and, and see the fulfillment of what Jesus had said still there, that just blows my mind. Not one stone will be left upon it. There they are. Yeah, pretty incredible. Uh, there's another picture of them just to show you from the other, uh, from the other vantage point. See how big they are. They're huge. Okay. Uh, this is the point. As I said, if, if we can reliably say this is a place where you actually walk, this is it. And I've been told by people that I trust. That's how I know. Uh, these are the steps that go up to the area where Caiaphas' house was. And so, um, and their first century... And uh, so he might have walked up those steps. Okay. They've closed them off now. You can't go there anymore. Um, this is the floor in one of the high priest's homes. And I only have that. I don't know why it's so, so important to me. That's the kind of floor he would have <laughs> walked on and stood on. And you see that's considerably nicer than the, the, the floor from, Ga from Galilee, from, uh, from Capernaum. They got money. Look at that. I mean, that is absolutely gorgeous. And uh, this is in one of the high priest's homes. And again, this is about 20, 30 feet below the street level. You've got to go down the steps to see this. But that's, you know, when, when Caiaphas is walking around, you know, and they're, they're doing their thing, they're standing on floors that look like that. I'm, those are the floors they were standing on, not just that look like that. I mean, this is first century high priest's home. Yeah. Okay, this is uh, burial customs. Um, you can tell those are human bones. Uh, we were in Gethsemane. That's this is just a little little cave that's in a wall in Gethsemane. It's not marked. There's no gate. 
at least when I took this picture, there wasn't. Um, Two-stage burial, this is how it works in Judaism. You die and they wrap you up and you get stuck in a, a tomb and you rot for a year. Uh, that's stage one. Stage two, someone who really loves you <laughs> comes after a year, they unwrap you and they wash your bones and they put those bones in a box. That's stage two. Two-stage burial in Jesus' day. Um, it, it, oh, there's all kinds of implications. Um, earlier, they wouldn't put the bones in a box, they just p- p- throw them in a pile. And this is what the Old Testament means when it says you were gathered to your fathers. They pitch your bones in the pile with everyone else's bones. And um, yeah, I just discovered this on my own. I stuck, stuck the camera and took the picture and then looked, I go, yikes. <laughs> yeah. I probably shouldn't have been in there, but there it is. This is a tomb. This shows you kind of what's going on. And this is on the Mount of Olives. Uh, th- this would have been covered, but you see those three, that three-sided thing? The, the bodies would be laid there for a year, and those niches in the, in the wall, once, once the bones are washed, they're put in a box, and they're stuck in those niches. That's how burial happens. Jesus doesn't need stage two. He barely needs stage one, right? Okay. This is in the Church of Holy Sepulchre. It's more of those, those niches, get a burial. Very old, even older than first century. I think those are very old. And those are bone boxes. This is also uh, Mount of Olives. See all those, little, all those boxes? And look in the very, just to the right. See that little one? That's for a child. Uh, here's a tomb. This is a poor man's tomb. Um, it's hard to tell you where this is. It's actually right next to that bus stop where the, all the soldiers were hurt a couple of years ago. But see the, this round stone that gets rolled over the hole? That's, uh, that's almost too small to climb into. I, wouldn't, I have claustrophobia. I didn't go in there. Okay, next. This is Lazarus' tomb. Uh, it's also so small I can't go in there. I gave somebody a camera and said, please take a picture for me. I can't do it. But that's supposedly Lazarus. But we don't know, okay? We don't know. This is very important. Uh, this is a tomb from the first century that Herod built for one of his relatives in, uh, just behind the King David Hotel. Uh, if you look in the very center of the picture, you'll see a little arch. Well, next picture will show it closer. <coughs> that is a rich man's tomb from the first century, which is exactly where Jesus, I mean, Jesus' tomb would look like this. Uh, three steps down into it, we, in, in the details of the uh, resurrection stories, everyone looks down into the tomb and see that stone. I don't think 10 people could move that stone. And the, what do the women say? Who's gonna move the stone for? It's just too big. And you see that and it just all makes perfect sense. And this is just in the back of a park. No one has built a church over it. It's a, a really good place to go. That's the stone. That's the tomb. We used to have to, I used to, have to clear, clean garbage out of it to use it. Um, Galilee again. Now we're sorry, back to Galilee. Just to show you the beauty of the place, Jesus lives and grows up in a, an absolutely gorgeous place. Okay, this is it. We have every every time we go, we have a bonfire on the Sea of Galilee. So we're on the shore, yucking it up. That's the, sea of, uh, the, the, the town of Tiberias on the other side of us, which is a pagan town. All the big towns in Galilee are pagan towns. Sepphoris, uh, uh, Tiberias, they're all associated with paganism. 
That Tiberius was actually built on top of a Jewish graveyard. So the Jews wouldn't go there. This is a typical home, first century Jewish home. So when you think of Peter's house, this is sort of the image that you should have in your head. Uh, you know, beams with grass and mud on top of that. So when they lower the man through the ceiling, all of a sudden, you know, stuff starts falling in because they're digging through. And Yeah. That's, you know, we're back to the desert. You know what that, you know where that is now, right? Judean wilderness. That's where Jesus is, the temptation happens. Okay, I think we're almost done. More. That's the road that goes down to Jerusalem, by the way. I mean, down to Jericho, by the way. Yeah, you can skip that. Shepherd's fold. Oh, this is interesting. This is on the Temple Mount. This may be one of the only um, uh, remnants of the decorated part of the temple. This is one of the capitals that was on top. Of the, there's a colonnade that went all the way around. I think they were 30 feet high, and this was covered with gold. And uh, there were, you know, hundreds of them. If you see the reconstructions, and and uh, the Muslims use it to feed birds, bird crumbs on or breadcrumbs on the top. Hey, wait a minute! Wait, wait, wait! There's someone here in this picture, who's here? Yeah. Well, and then that's your hub, husband right there, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> huh? You can go up there now. It, 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 it's, it's totally at the discretions of, of the Muslim community. If, they don't, if something's going on, they won't let you up there. But sometimes they will. This is, uh, when you think of Cana, uh, a wedding of Galilee, a stone jar that holds 20 to 30 gallons for ritual cleansing, that's it. This is in the, in the high priest's house. That's what those look like. So it was, at one point it was full of water and all of a sudden it was all wine. 80, 180 gallons or something, some unbelievable amount of wine. But that's what those are. Okay, this is, see the colonnade? That's the, this is a reconstruction of the temple, of Herod's temple. And see that colonnade that goes on? And those are double columns, by the way. The, 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 the thing we just saw was on top of one of those. And that, that uh, courtyard, that's 35 acres. Uh, and this is from the time of Jesus. The, the gate that's at the very first, that's that gate I showed you, the golden gate, uh, where the so-called triumphal entry you know, would have happened. Um, to the right, those two towers, that's the Antonia Fortress. That's where the Romans, you can see how the Romans dominated. They built you know, towers that are overlooking. And during Passover, uh, I, I'm told by people that I trust, behind each one of those columns would be a Roman soldier on horseback. If there's a problem, we're, gonna, we're ready to bring it, right? That's what that is. Uh, to, one more, yeah, we'll just leave that one. To the left, that, that raised, that's Solomon's colonnade. Jesus would teach over there. Yeah. Beautiful, incredible, you know, gold and white marble. And it would have been one of the seven wonders of the world if it wasn't built too late. And I just learned this recently. There were Romans, there were people who had come from all over the world who weren't even Jewish, who weren't even God-fearers, just to see it. It was a tourist attraction, okay? It was so incredible, yeah. Is that it? Nope. Cormorant, you know, you don't want to see that. Uh, this is to let you see how big the, the stones of the, the retaining wall are bigger than any of the stones in the pyramid. That young lady is at one end of the stone, and the, this is one of our guides who's at the other end. 
tons and tons, and I don't know, I don't know the numbers, but they're enormous. Yeah, okay. More of the black basalt world. This is Chorazin. I've already made that point. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Any questions? Yeah. Okay. Do we have time to dig a little bit? Question. Okay. I was thinking, where in the world are you going with this thing? I mean, if you think about it, she, the question was, you know, why is it that Jesus wants to use like bread and wine to be remembered with? First of all, they have all kinds of symbolism, you know, from the Old Testament, bread especially. Uh, we're going to see it today, there's a whole great section of Mark and the undertone of the whole discussion is bread. Um, and there, there are common things that are associated with Passover. So he wants you to, every time you have that meal, you remember him. But I think that they, he uses lots of things to help us remember him. Water, you know, um, light, that sort of thing. I don't know. Um, He's from the house of bread. Yeah, he was born in Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. Um, it's just some, it's a common part of life that's life-sustaining. Uh, I don't think they even cared about carbs back in those days. I don't think there were fat people in those days. And, but in fact, here, this is interesting, at least in the Old Testament, if you're fat, that's a good thing. That means you're rich. That's a good thing. Yeah. The answer is I really don't know the answer to that question, so I just said blah, blah, blah for a little while to act like I was answering the question. <laughs> I didn't do Hezekiah's tunnel because I have claustrophobia. Yeah, that, I would scream like a 13-year-old girl if I got stuck in there. I don't see why anybody wants to do that to themselves. <laughs> 